0: I will tell you, there is an excellent documentary out there on Netflix. It's called The Heal. I think it's on Netflix, Heal. It, it, It was the first time it really, somebody explained to me from a physiological standpoint, what happens when you meditate? What happens when you do yoga? What happens when you change your mindset? It is releasing hormones and chemicals in your body that actually affect some of this chronic disease and stuff that's going on here, whether it's hypertension, PTSD, depression, all that stuff.
1: Hey guys, don't forget to check out the Street Cop Training Conference April 23rd through the 28th, 2023 at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center. It's going to be a great experience. Five career-changing days. Some of the most profound speakers in the industry. Guest speakers include Rob O'Neill, the guy who killed bin Laden, Kyle Carpenter, the youngest living Congressional Medal of Honor winner, Fox News host Tommy Lahren, Navy SEAL, American war hero Jason Redmond; Sheriff David Clark, Sheriff Mark Lamb, and Sheriff Wayne Ivey. You'll also spend time with all of our Street Cop instructors at this event Monday through Friday. We'll have a great lineup of courses in addition to our great speakers. It will be a week that you will not forget. You'll be thankful you came. You don't want to miss out. Check out streetcop.com on how to register. If you're going to use the room code, make sure you book it from Sunday through Friday. That's what the code's good for, and it's about half the price of the regular rate. But those rooms are running out, so make sure you sign up now. We'll see you there. A street cop. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder, and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and I have with me today a uh, man on a mission doing great things for the world. He's including law enforcement, hence, he's on the podcast. We didn't have him on anyway because he is a manly motherfucker as I look at him here on the screen. Uh, but none other than Ray Murphy, and I'll let Ray Murphy explain to you his organization, what he does, his background, and I, I'd like to also know your test level because. I got to tell you, I don't know how much older you are than me, but you look like a fucking specimen, right?
0: Well, I'm not going to divulge my age, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs>
1: give, us some, give us some hope. Uh, how about this? Uh, were you born in the era that began with a seven? It, yes. Okay, that's not bad, right? That's not t- I'm, I'm an early 80s guy. I'm 81. People know I'm 41 years old.
0: Well, right? I was in the Marines and played in the desert the first go around. That should give you some, an idea how old I am.
1: Oh, he's probably not that much older than I am. Are you still in your 40s? Well, 52. You look
0: great, dude.
1: Can we just, before we go into who you are, like, how the fuck do you look like that at 52? Just constant working out and eating
0: correctly? Well, that's part of it. That's for sure. (laughs) What's the other part? like...
1: Just, oh, is it the, is the psilocybin mushrooms?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: it's the <a> secret sauce.
1: <laughs> nice, dude. All right, Ray, tell us who you are, man. I appreciate you being here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Ray Murphy. Um, I'm the owner of several companies. Uh, I started Core Canine a long time ago. So I've got a dog training company, you know, fixing dogs behaving badly. Uh, I also started uh, HRD Police Canine. Uh, I run that with my business partner, Ted Summers, who also runs uh, Working Dog Radio, it's another podcast. Uh, we're out there running high-risk deployment seminars around the country for existing police canine teams. And I guess I decided that wasn't enough on my plate, so I started a 501c3 called the Warriors Healing Network. And that we are sending combat veterans and police officers with PTSD down to Costa Rica to do ayahuasca ceremonies and also give them the prep work and the integration work when they return. So I've got a whole heck of a lot of stuff on my plate, um, but it's all stuff that I think is very important, uh, especially the the 501. Uh, we're brand new out there, and we're just trying to get the word out there that there are other options and existing status quo for PTSD treatments, which I, I found personally are mostly ineffective. And if you deal with a VA, absolute garbage. So,
1: How about your early life into your military career and, and who you were and what you did and all that that jazz?
0: Yeah, for sure. I grew up si- outside of Chicago, uh, in Naperville, Illinois, and you know, a pretty tumultuous childhood. Um, it all—we had a lot of violence in the household, and that all came to a head when when I was in high school. Like right when I graduated high school, I basically left left home, didn't talk to the parents since, and um, you know, I was basically homeless for about eight months. You know, hopping from couch to couch, just partying, doing nothing productive with my life. So. I actually decided to go to the Marines. So that's when I kind of turned my own life around. So I spent four years in the Marine Corps. Uh, I was an 0331 machine gunner. I spent most of my career in the Marine Corps. I uh, was 1st Battalion, 2nd Marine, State platoon. So I was with scout snipers. Uh, like I told you before, I, I, did, uh, I played around with the desert the first go around, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Um, but that was, that was a long time ago. From there, you know, when I graduated, I went to Illinois State University. Um, I was a criminal justice major. I thought I did want to go into some kind of law enforcement at some point, and then I realized they don't make any money, so I decided to go <laughs> to the private sector, <laughs> and that's how I didn't end up actually becoming a cop or something like that. Um, during that time, I also became a skydiver and a base jumper, which I've done for well over twenty something years, but also caused a hell of a lot of heartache in my life and led to some of my own PTSD. Um, During that 20-year stint, you know, I did multiple world records in skydiving for large formations. I did a a large formation jump in Moscow, um, base jumping off the Austin Kino Tower. (laughs) And I've been all over the world base jumping, but that came at a price. Uh, I lost in excess of 34-something people. I literally had to sit down one day and, and and think through all the people that I've lost in my life due to these sports. Um, Most of them were fatalities within the skydiving and base jumping community. I had some that died within the military and things like that, but that is an absurd amount of death to deal with. And believe it or not, the thing that pushed it over the edge for me was the loss of a dog. I had a dog named Nero about five years ago who passed unexpectedly. He had a colonic torsion. Uh, and when he died, I felt different. Um, I felt I didn't bounce back like I did before. You know, I could I could accept, you know, all those other deaths within the other context of base jumping and things like that. But when my dog died, for some reason, I just felt terrible. Um, that's right about the time I got diagnosed with complex PTSD. And this is where I, I had to become my own expert because not a lot of information out there as to Treatments that actually work for PTSD, and how do you get it? You know, for me, I always thought it was like a flash the bang type thing, meaning um, something bad happens, then bam, you got PTSD. I wasn't aware of this whole trauma stacking thing and and this gradual erosion of your of your um, nervous system of all these traumatic events in your life that would lead up to one day you wake up and you just don't feel the same. So I, I get how a lot of people get kind of taken off guard that that they have PTSD when they used to be able to handle all this stuff. You know, I guess I could equate this to be, if you've seen a bunch of traumatic events on a regular basis and it's starting to become the norm and regular for you, you're going to have PTSD. It's common. It's just going to rear its head at some point in your life if you continue down this path and you don't try to ride it yourself. So it's not something that'll just go away on its own. So that was definitely an eye-opening experience for me.
1: It's interesting you talk about experiencing trauma, and we talk about that a lot on this podcast, and it's important people hear this because sometimes I recognize trauma, or I see an event that has unfolded, and recently, to keep it very vague, I'm aware of somebody who was at a very catastrophic event that was publicized, probably not hard to figure out which one it was. I response to that person immediately when they called me and said, hey, I was there. I said... I would suggest immediately trying to work with this, going to see a mental health professional and trying to work this thing out because what I've experienced, what I've seen, um, you know, in in life is that people will continue to compartmentalize and suppress and push this stuff down. And essentially you're walking around like a ticking time bomb. You don't even know it's inside your body ready to go off. Yeah. And then when it does, you're literally just a complete meltdown a disaster, and now you're picking up the pieces, and the crazy thing is, uh, with no pun intended, if you had began to manage it and acknowledge that, okay, I'm not invisible, I'm going to manage this early on, you could prevent that from happening. Is that a true statement?
0: I would believe so. I mean, I wish I knew that when I started to experience all these traumas and started to actually address it and not say, hey, I, I feel fine, You know, it's not really bothering me, I might have been able to get away with some of these lower level treatments, things like EMDR, or talk therapy and stuff like that, and not have to go the nuclear option of, of resorting to psychedelics and things that are really uncomfortable. Um, but this is why, you know, when people come out of the gate and they try to address this stuff, but they got some deep seated trauma in there, complex PTSD, those lower level treatments tend not to work or do what they think it'll do for them. And that's a big problem. And when treatment doesn't work, you're, you're causing more and more frustration and anger. And that just builds and builds and builds. And obviously, it's got to come to a head at some point. And usually, it affects their lives in some terrible way you know, or people around them before they even try to address it. And at that point, you really only have a few options to make it work, in my opinion.
1: When you said the psychedelic route is uncomfortable, what do you mean
0: by that? So there's levels to the game. There's, first off, they've got organizations out there that are trying to legalize this stuff for PTSD treatment like MAPS. Uh, I believe they just completed phase three trials of MDMA. Um, and they are now studying psilocybin also for uh, PTSD treatment. So very soon, you're probably going to see those things kind of normalized. You see a lot of ketamine out there in the world as far as treating depression and things like that. Um, when you're dealing with things like ayahuasca... Uh, which is where we send people in Costa Rica to do these ceremonies. That is a Amazonian root and some leaves that basically work in conjunction with each other to to basically strip down ego. And this is what happens when you sit down with a counselor, you want to start talking about stuff. It's human nature to mask things and not be 100 percent honest with what's going on. Um, But when you take this medicine, it's all coming up. Whatever it was, you know, I, you know, I think I cried more in, in a week than I did in 30 years when I went to a retreat last February in a place called Rhythmia, which is where we sent our, our treatment grant recipients. Um, but when you take this stuff, number one, it doesn't taste good. And it's got a whole lot of uncomfortable side effects, things like purging and vomiting. And, and, and when you're dealing with this deep-seated trauma, you know, of course, it's a it's a serious emotional roller coaster that you're going through. So this isn't taking a bunch of a couple mushrooms and going to a dead concert. I mean, you're going down there and this is rough. This is heavy work that you're putting in. But I could tell you, you will feel like a different person when you come out of something like that.
1: You know, as you talk about it, probably you don't know this about me because we don't know each other as of now. And now we will know each other forever, I hope. And we see each other. We can uh, do one of those dab and high five and like fucking half hug things that we do. And like, it'll be great to <laughs> meet you in person. And then. I'll say to myself, hope Ray doesn't squeeze me too fucking hard uh, because I don't want to get smashed. But one of the first questions I wrote down was, can everyone benefit from it? And the reason I ask this is because I'm somebody who is very open-minded to a lot of things that I think people quickly respond to. Of, Oh, I would never do that. So unbeknownst to most people, uh, I may talk about it, but when you look at me and a guy like me, you wouldn't think that I'm a meditator. I'm somebody who gets very much into my soul and purpose. Um, I, I I quintessentially fit that mold of Jersey guy works out bravado, uh, very confident, but I'm a very deep person and I've learned to become that way. So for me, it intrigues me. Would it help somebody who maybe not be suffering? We all have trauma, right? I can agree with that. I'm not saying I, I certainly not live a life free of trauma and I continue to experience it nonstop. Um, I think I'm fortunate enough to have a little bit of a resilient brain, probably more than other people. Um, I'm a very calm person. Uh, but do you think somebody or anybody could benefit from going through one of these retreats and you know, experiencing the, the you know, native to the rainforest uh, drug that does this?
0: Yeah. So let me be abundantly clear the the drug itself is just a tool. It's just a piece of the healing process. Okay. What those, what they've done down there is set up these healing containers, meaning inside of a week, they've got a really tight program built around four ayahuasca ceremonies. What I would tell anybody considering this, considering going the psychedelic therapy route would be number one, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to make change in your life because what that medicine is going to do is going to provide you with different thought patterns and point out ways that you can change your life for the better, but you have to be willing to make a change. Okay. This is not you drink a cup of ayahuasca and, and you're good to go for the rest of your life. It's, it doesn't work that way. You've got to be ready to put in work. This is the reason why we vet people pretty heavily to make sure that they're on board and they understand this. But that being said, though, a lot of these people are at the end of the rope. They've tried several other therapies, whether it's talk therapy, EMDR, Um, or they went the VA route, they got thrown a bunch of opioids and they got fucked up on those things. So if you were to try this, you'd have to go in completely willing to be vulnerable, willing to share what's happened in your past, willing to make change and understand that that medicine is going to give you what you need, not what you want. Okay, and this is why it gets gets pretty hairy for people. They think they control freaks. You got to kind of let go and let it do its thing. Um, But I could tell you what, I mean, I I was in a room full of people hearing their different traumas, and it was very humbling. You know, a lot of women there um, that were there for like sexual assault type things and deep seated stuff. And I I could tell you there are at least two or three people that would have killed themselves at the end of that week had. That medicine not actually turned them around. And I could tell you what, at the end of a seven-day retreat, these people were walking around smiling and hugging people, and they had a different look to their face. And this isn't like one or two people. We're talking a bunch. this is stuff I saw personally, and not to mention the way I felt. So I I know, you know, if this is going to do, it does a lot of good, but you got to have the right mindset. You got to treat it with respect. It's got to be done with the correct set and setting, meaning you got to know who's administering the stuff, what it is. And you gotta the one thing I did overlook, I I will tell you this is the the spiritual aspect, I guess. You know, I'm not a I don't have a religious bone in my body, but spiritually, I can admit there's something bigger out there that none of us could truly understand. But when the shamans, the guys that curate this ayahuasca brew, Blessing this medicine and, and singing their Icaros, which are basically these chants from the Amazon to help bring out the effects of the medicine, it'll, it'll make the hair on your arms stand up. I mean, you, you feel this power and energy in the room, and that's legit. Um, so what I would tell people, you know, the correlation here is with religion, you got to have this degree of faith and just trust and just hope something's going to happen for you. But with ayahuasca, try it. You know, you, it's going to do what it's going to do, whether you believe it in or not. And it's going to work for some people. And everyone's going to have a different response to it, I, was, I would say. But uh, there's ways to do it properly to get the most out of it.
1: you ever see it not working?
0: I haven't, personally. That being said, uh, I'm sure there's people out there that it has not worked for. But again, I would have to question their preparation. You know, where did they do it? What was the setting, you know? What did they do when they got back? You know, I think a lot of the integration work, when I say integration, it's basically kind of counseling with somebody who has experience with psychedelics. So you have that ability to kind of unload and and process some of these things that are very hard to articulate when you come back to the world. You know, how do you, how do you go back and tell all your buddies, you just saw all these crazy images and these things like that. They're just going to look at you like you're nuts. Um, you got to have that support system in place to kind of be able to make sense of it. A thing of this is like a snow globe, you know, your brain's stuck in this, this fight or flight loop. When you got PTSD, if you can shake that thing up and that thing settles back down, you got to be able to realign those thought patterns in a positive manner. And that's really what integration work does. When you come back from psychedelic therapy,
1: when you go there and let's say at the end of the week, you are profound, you've had the healing it did what you wanted it to do. Is there long-term proof that this works? Do you guys follow up? And is there any maintenance associated with it? Like when you leave, you're like, hey, listen, you got to keep up with this shit, right? Like you guys are here. You fixed it. Keep waxing the car. Keep detailing the motherfucker. You know, you, you got a whole brand new car. Don't let it go sit out in the rain, in the mud. And tell me about it. I'm curious about that stuff.
0: Yeah, so again, we're a brand new organization. In fact, we just had our first treatment recipient come back on uh, Sunday. Um, he was a special forces guy. Uh, we were able to raise enough money to send him. Our second guy is leaving this Saturday. So, you know, just for being around for about six or eight months, you know, we've able to raise enough to send uh, two guys down there to get the treatment. So what our plan is going forward is to, yeah, set up kind of a support system that these guys can bounce things off each other or help other people or whatever going forward um, and kind of grow this thing like a snowball. You know, just keep pushing it through people who can actually use this help. To date, we've only sent, um, sent two combat veterans. We haven't sent any uh, police officers yet, but, you know, we're hoping to change that a little bit. We want to make sure that we can deal with both of those communities because they're both kind of near and dear to my heart.
1: We actually uh, have a group on facebook called the street cop survivors club we have one of the wives of one of our police officers uh who was significantly injured in the line of duty she also started a spinoff group which is the street cop survivors uh of the family of survivors club so it's the wives and siblings and you know whoever wants to come because those are the often forgotten people uh, who actually suffer just as badly mentally And maybe even worse than the person who actually received this significant injury during the course of their duties. Now, when I started thinking about trying to support law enforcement and their mental health, um, this is the first route we went down. I had an idea. I heard the same thing over and over again from these guys. Nobody knows what it's like to have been shot in the line of duty. I go to combat veteran shit. It's not the same. It's just not. And I go to the VA. They're not because we're welcome there. They're not understanding what we're saying to them. They don't get it. It's a different thing. I was in the war. I was shot at in the war. It's different. So I said to them in Atlantic city at our first conference, Hey, you guys should just, I have this idea. If they get a workout, I don't know, but essentially it's a peer support group. So there's 183 members in this group. It's a very small club and we don't want more numbers in it. Right. Like people who are, we don't, we us getting bigger numbers in the street cops training survivors, uh, survivors group is, is not a good thing, but if it does happen, Uh, We do have this peer support. So my suggestion is just from one guy to another who does give a fuck, you know, maybe maybe trying to find a mental health therapist who wants to volunteer their time, who's appropriate for something like this may be very difficult to find. What they found is a lot of comfort, a lot of relief from peer support. So maybe a group like a Facebook group, right, might might do a trick there. You know what I mean?
0: It's in the works for sure. I think one thing you got to consider, though, and something I also want to throw out there is I think a lot of people, combat veterans or cops, whoever it is, they, sometimes this PTSD diagnosis becomes an identity. Mm. And they don't want to let it go. You know, I'm a street cop. You know, I got shot in the line of duty. you will never going to understand the stress I went through. You know, or same thing, vice versa with the combat veteran. And you know what? You hold on to that unhealthy identity. And who do you think you're screwing up around you? It's, it's your family. It's your loved ones. Do they want to be around this miserable person their entire life? You know, you really have to think about a bigger picture and it's not just about you. And yeah, you've been through some shit, but a lot of people have too. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of what I kind of picked up when I went down there and just listening to other people's traumas. I learned to be empathetic. I think that's one of the first things that, you know, especially police have to start to lose. And it's just by the nature of their job, um, how they're unsupported by their departments, unsupported by the public, unsupported by the media, you know, you get hit hit with all ends there. So it's very hard to keep that, I guess, that positive outlook on life. But remember, you're out, your attitude and the way you carry yourself is affecting more than just you. So the families and your children and all those type of stuff, if you want to sit there and hold this identity, I'm the PTSD cop that nobody understands. Um, that's not a healthy way to go through life, and you're never going to get better like that.
1: It's interesting, later on in my life in my 30s and now into my 40s. I learned a lot more about compassion. I wasn't raised in a household with a lot of compassion. Uh, I don't think anybody around me was either in my neighborhood. I don't think there was a lot of compassion. I can't recall one person who I thought was a compassionate person, like the way that I see things now. But one thing I wrote down when you were talking earlier is compassion. And it made me think, Ray, you know, I know that you went through a lot. You've been through this whole thing, but going through PTSD as difficult as it was in going down and doing the ceremony, tell me about some of the blessings. And it's clear, obviously, you have a 5013C. But what other blessings besides learning compassion and empathy did you really, and you could even you could even address those, did you get from going through what you went through?
0: Yeah, I mean, I learned to live in the moment. You know, I mean, think about especially this day and age, there's so much shit going on. Any single day you go on social media or the news or whatever, it's just the fucking world's ending. Um, everything's terrible, you know, and then if you put that on through the lens of a police officer, it's even 10 times, tenfold, Right. So at that point, what I've learned is I can't control all that shit. I control what's in front of me. I, I can go walk my dog. I can choose to, you know, stare at the trees and enjoy this beautiful weather we're having. Um, but I, I can't control what's going on in Ukraine. Right. So if I want to sit there and worry about every horrible thing that's coming down the pipe, and that's part of PTSD, right? It's hypervigilance. You know, I'm going to be a miserable person my entire life. So that's one thing I've started. The other thing is just being mindful. You know, it's taking a second out of my day to be to be grateful. So before dinner, you know, I like to, you know, my wife and I go through this exercise. We just say what we're grateful for. You know, it could be simple. You know, I'm grateful for, you know, where we live or whatever. You know what I mean? Just something simple like that. These little teeny things. It doesn't have to be, you turn into this giant yogi. And you start wearing beads and man jammies and all that type of stuff. That's, that's not it, right? I mean, you do what, what makes you calm and what makes you happy. And it can be really simple. I will tell you, there is an excellent documentary out there on Netflix. It's called a heel. I think it's on Netflix. Heel. It, it it was the first time it really somebody explained to me from a physiological standpoint what happens when you meditate, what happens when you do yoga, what happens when you change your mindset? It is releasing hormones and chemicals in your body that actually affect some of this chronic disease and stuff that's going on here, whether it's hypertension, PTSD, depression, all that stuff. You know, before when you're just this angry angry guy and somebody's telling you go, go do some breath work, you know, go do some yoga and you're like, okay, cool. You go do it, but you don't really think about why. And that's the first time it kind of clicked for me. I, I saw that and I'm like, okay, you know, some people are, you know, on the high end or the very rare end, you know, people are sometimes curing things like cancer and things like that is very rare, of course. But what I'm saying is a lot of chronic disease can be addressed through those type of practices. And we live in such an unhealthy state these days as far as humans are concerned we got to go back to the way things were you know if you look at the blue zones around the world the, the biggest thing that's not there for them is stress you know they're eating well they're managing stress they're getting sleep they're doing everything that we aren't doing here in the in our current environments especially in a career like law enforcement
1: you're gonna go back a little bit and you talked about something i think was interesting, and You actually made a point that contradicted your point as you were speaking about it. And you said, the world's coming to an end. Everything's a fucked up. If you're a cop, it's 10 times worse through the lens. Uh, And it's about how you see things. We have options in life. And I would actually argue that if you didn't have social media or the internet or a newspaper or television, and you functioned in this world without that stuff, you might not see things the same way. I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm saying acknowledge where some of the, our beliefs are being generated from. I'm not saying that the war in Ukraine isn't horrendous and it's horrific because it breaks my heart all the time. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I can't, you know, in order to progress in my life, I try to, I mean, I just donated again to the, to the, the war efforts in Ukraine. Like literally last week, I saw something that like tugged at my heartstrings and I just grabbed my credit card and started sending money. Not that I sent a hundred million dollars, but I sent what I could, Um uh, but a lot of us like to remain in those painful perspectives uh, because it's popular. That's what human beings do, right? Yeah, but, it's familiar. But, right. And then you said, but you know, then I go and enjoy a walk with my dog or I'm thankful for where I live. You know, when we see the good things that we have in our life, it's interesting when you can begin to control that, right? You could say all oh, these... Oh, my, you know, my, uh, my, this broke and I got to pay for that. And, and this person's giving me a hard time or I got this thing. It's not working. Do we ever get the thing that it works flawlessly and always say like, Oh, thank God. It worked flawlessly. You know? So I had, uh, I was, this just comes to mind. I, I was putting up, uh, inflatable Christmas decorations. Your boy here has got a real thing with inflatable Christmas decorations. My fucking jam. (laughs) The woman that I live with cannot stand them. I find them to be very pleasurable, and my children think it's fucking amazing. Uh, So I bought 10 new ones. I have a big front lawn, so I'm really trying to make it a menagerie. I want to be that place where people are like, we got to go see this asshole's house. So they have one. If if I was in a different position financially at the moment, we have a lot of stuff going on. I would have bought. They have like a a 45-foot Santa, like the one you would see in front of like a mall.
0: You're basically Clark Griswold, right?
1: Well, you know what's interesting is I'm not saying I had a great childhood, but my father. One thing he did was he put thousands of lights on our house. He was an electrician, and we had thousands of Christmas lights on the house. like, people would come and like I'd be in my at a bunk bed, right? So people would come down the street and stop and look at our house. Cars lined up at the street. That was his thing. Uh, my father also put on a hell of a fireworks show every year. So it's so interesting. It meant so much to me that he did that. And did the fireworks thing that now I do. As you can imagine, I have the biggest 4th of July party in the town that I live in. There, hands down, nobody's fucking my 4th of July party. It's, it's Ray, uh, if you ever get the invite, don't, don't ignore it. Where do you live now?
0: I live in Charleston, South Carolina.
1: All right. Maybe you want to see the ride up for it. It might be worth it. A lot of kids, though. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of kids. They're gonna be, we're not going to be, you know, there's some beer pong being played and shit, but it's a lot of kids. A lot of fun. Uh, about 250 people at my party in my backyard. And it's 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 as chaotic as I can make it. I try to introduce something new, chaotic every year, to make it more insane. Uh, and at this point now, I have to hire crews to come and clean up after it because it's so fucking nuts. But what I was saying is, um, you know, I, I happen to take I don't know, eight new of these, eight, eight of these things out, eight or ten that I bought, and the, everything I was was going well. I'm blowing it up on the ninth one. I plug it into the extension cord and it's not working. And I said, oh, you, in my head, my first reaction, like everybody else's is, oh, this thing's not working. Could you imagine? Like, I got to return it. I really needed this piece for the front. It completes the thing. It's going to look stupid without it. And then I said, literally, I said to myself, but the nine other ones worked. So why am I complaining about the one that didn't? And the nine other ones did. Why would I celebrate every time I plugged one in that it worked? And guess what the actual, and I, I laughed at myself. I go, I've been trying to work on this myself of like not seeing the one or two times things suck versus all the great things we have in our life, all the great moments to singing with my kids in the car, bring them to Brazilian jitsu. Oh, it's my favorite. I entice them with McDonald's because they're going to thank me later on when they're nine and they're able to beat the shit out of somebody, anybody they want in their school. <laughs> right. But um, and the funny thing was, even after I laughed at myself, I looked down at the extension cord. I hadn't plugged it in yet. Ooh. Right. So I had, a, I had a splitter. I went down, and plugged it in, it worked just fine. But I mean, how many times do we say to ourselves, oh, I can't believe this thing's not working. And the world, right? Like, it's how you're seeing it. It's a beautiful it,
0: you know, world. It's a practice and it's something you're going to do the rest of your life because your mind is typically going to wander to that dark place. Oh, shit. You know, here... This is what's coming down the pipe. What's next? You know, instead of bringing it back to where you are that particular moment in time and saying, you know what, I'm still breathing. Uh, everything's pretty damn good right this second. You know, and that's going to take constant work. But really, what happens is your ability to recognize yourself going down the rabbit hole and catching yourself and redirecting those thought patterns that's the practice. You know, you're never going to be, you know, everything's unicorns and rainbows for the rest of your life. It's going to be, catching yourself, recognizing that you're going down that unhealthy path and being able to redirect it. And I think that's really the most you could ask for, you know, when you're trying to, quote, recover from PTSD. You know, I, I even asked a the therapist once, what does recovery look like for PTSD? And she wasn't really able to give me an answer. And, and to me, that speaks volumes. We don't think we know enough about the brain, human brain to know that. Really what I think is we learn to manage it and re- evaluate how you go through life um once you're given those tools then your life's going to be 10 times better i mean it just it just is
1: i uh didn't pick up my phone to be rude i wanted to get to a conversation i have with a gentleman that i didn't speak to a long time and uh just two two volleys and texts back and forth and he said uh, to me i said you know how are things he said uh good blah 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 about the flu he goes but other than that things are good how about you now, I never tell people things are good because I don't think good is the proper acronym to describe great. So for me, I don't know acronym is the right word. No, it would just be the word. Some, some <laughs> shit like pronoun, is a pronoun, adjective? So I said, you know, I said, I'm great. Like everyone else in the world, I have a million problems, but I'm still the luckiest guy you'll ever meet. Yeah, that's, that's I'm not perfect. the richest guy. Yeah, dude, I'm not the richest guy you'll ever meet. I'm not the healthiest guy, the best looking guy. I'm pretty fucking funny, but I don't have the funniest guy you ever meet, but it's how I see things. And in the 21st minute of my meditation in the morning, uh, that process I've spoken to before is a, like you said before, it's what are you grateful for? And I just start my four children. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I I just, every, just their faces start and then I go into something as simple as being in a warm house on a winter day in a warm house. It's cold out right now. I yep. say, Lord, thank you. I say I'm appreciative that sitting on a couch in this, in this beautiful house that I worked very hard to get to and I'm warm. Something as simple as that is very interesting what you're appreciative. We had a guy in yesterday who was a police officer who was charged and ended up subsequently getting imprisoned uh, temporarily while he's waiting trial, got out of jail. But in three months, he sat in solitary confinement uh, at a county jail in Florida. And he said, I will never take Something as simple as a hot shower for granted ever again in my life. Yeah. Why does it take something like that to go through perspective change? Because we're know. fucking spoiled, right? But yeah. on top of that, nobody ever told you. Nobody ever told you be appreciative of these things. You know, it's very, very. Some of those profound people in my life are ones who are the most compassionate. I told the girl that I know. I said to her on Thanksgiving, "I'm so. I don't know we're very long. I said I'm so thankful that I met you. You are." The most compassionate person I've ever met in my life. And I am thankful that I know you, at least know you. And she's doesn't have fame or fortune or anything like that. But when you talk to her, her non-judgment of anybody is amazing. And I learn from people like that. I just learn and I want to be like them. So you gotta work at it though, right? You know, you gotta
0: work at it. Our integration coach, Christina Muncie, is like that. She's she's one of these people that can also Whenever I'm having the shittiest day or I'm just explaining something that's horrible, she's able to get me to think, look, look at it with a different lens or think about it a different way. And you know what? Every single time I bring it up, at the end of it all, I'm like, you know what? You're right. You know. And, and when I think back, and she had me do this exercise also, think of the most horrific things you've had to endure your entire life, okay? Get the short little mental list of it. Then sit and think about, what good came out of each and one, every one of those events. And if you can name, and I guarantee you, initially you're like, oh, there's no way there's something good that came out of this. And you start to think about some of this stuff, even the worst of it. There's something good that has come out of these traumas. They've taught you something at very least. And if you think about it like that, then you can start to process and think about all these horrific things in a little bit different light. And I think that's super important to, to remember, you know, it was going It's coming. You get some shit wave that's happening in your life. Everything's going wrong. At some point, that's going to turn around. And it, it has every other time too, right? So there's no reason to think otherwise. So I think it's just a lot of being able to recognize the signals that you're starting to go down this dark rabbit hole and be able to turn it around. I think that's really what's in the integration practice. But when we're talking about psychedelic-assisted therapy, a lot of times before you can even get to that, you got to dislodge the problem further upstream. If you got some really deep seated stuff in there and you've tried all these other things, you know, that's the nuclear option. You got to go down this other road or at least be open to it and think, you know, if if you're even thinking suicidal thoughts or any stuff like that, I mean, you got to do something for your family, for everyone else around you. Um, I can tell you, your department doesn't give a shit about you. You know, if you go out tomorrow, they're going to replace you or they're not, you know, if you get defunded, um, or whatever the deal is. But the, the the bottom line is you got to take control of your own health and your mental well being.
1: Earlier, you talked about coming from a very fucked up family growing up so much so that when you left, you never talked to them again. And it's been, I'm guessing 30 years, somewhere in the ballpark or 52, 35 years of, of not talking to these people. Have you, first thing we'd ask you is, have you ever reached out ever again? Or you've just been, been running, running, you know, I don't say running from them. Uh, I, But uh, have you ever made contact in that time ever again?
0: I haven't. But that sounds like, you know, sounds really callous and horrible. But when you think about it, what I gained from that was an extended family. I had several families help me get back on my feet, you know, help support me. And what happened is, you know, just because their blood doesn't mean they're your family. I I gained a much larger family out of this whole experience. Um, So it's something that, you know, I don't. Choose to go down that path anymore because there's no value add to me.
1: I um, agree. I'm not arguing person,
0: there. That's a personal not... decision. But that being said, I, I i benefited by, you know, getting these other people in my life that actually helped me through it.
1: Well, that was so. kind of my question. So, the question I had for you is, and when I hear you say that, I it resonates with me, right? I I explore my childhood a lot. I explore who I am now a lot. I don't know what happens in your late 30s and early 40s that makes you start thinking about. A lot of things. I don't know if that was the same time frame for you. That's where I'm at. Yeah, probably. And um, yesterday, my vice president here said to me, while well, we're talking on the phone, and I love her to death, uh, Becca. I, uh, she said She texted me and said, it's amazing that you're able to stay so calm during so much turmoil. And I said, the house I grew up in was so volatile and so out of control that I think my brain molded that way. So as upset as I am with the way that I was raised, and I will never put my kids through what I went through, and the fact that even now it's not even acknowledged of what it was like to be in that household. Um, And again, it wasn't the worst thing ever, but it wasn't great. Yep. The blessing there was I'm able to handle chaos very calmly because I had to my entire life. Well, yep. everybody else was chaotic. I was one of the only people there who was just cool, calm, and collected in this house of insanity. So, yep. you know, I, that's my blessing in disguise. And your blessing, you believe, is your extended family.
0: That, and I also believe, I, I'm pretty damn calm with chaos. You know, I think a lot of that came out of base jumping. You know, I mean, you talk about When you got your toes poked over the edge of a 3,000 foot wall and you're getting ready to jump off, you're thinking about literally nothing else in the world except what you're about to do, what you need to do to save your life, you know, and if you're going to be alive in the next 30 seconds. So you get this laser sharp mentality of just being hyper focused and calm. Um, You know, and when you think about the things that get us all riled up in everyday life, you know, that's not going to immediately hurt or kill me. I'm not that excited about it, right? I could calm down and realize I've been through a lot more stressful situations and just, just how do you channel your mind and accept it? And really being chaotic doesn't help anybody, right? The calmer you are, the better decisions you could make. And again, this will also make you a better police officer out in the street. You know, a lot of what we do with our HRD seminars is we introduce stress, you know, decision-making or elevated heart rate or things like that. We want to make these guys comfortable dealing with that type of stuff and not go through the motions and check a box that you just did certain things um and that's why it's so important to have that you know mixed in with what you guys are doing you know you know, listening to your podcast i've heard you say many times a lot of the training that law enforcement receives is garbage and and I, i tend to agree you know a lot of it's great but some of it is absolutely worthless and especially a lot of it's a mindset you know when you're dealing with canine units they're a specialized unit Why aren't they training like every other specialized unit in the world? All you got to do is look at the military. There's no, you don't got to recreate the wheel. Watch how any kind of tier one or any kind of specialized unit trains. They train with stress. They train with reality. There's a lot of blood, sweat, tears going on, not standing around and bullshitting and drinking coffee. Um, And if you're not training like that, when it does go to shit, you know, you're not going to be able to handle it. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And that's really why I want to drive home. You know, that, you know, we, we take this seriously and, you know, I don't want to care about somebody else's life more than they care about their own. And, you know, I've, I've come across officers like that. You know, when I'm like, I'm here, you know, busting my ass, hopefully to drive home a message to you that if you don't prepare properly, this dog is not going to engage. You're not going to do your job and you're going to die. Um, but I can't make somebody give a shit. Right. So, I don't know. You know, you're the one of the few people that I've heard out there on, on the airwaves that are talking about this stuff as far as the training or lack thereof, um, when we're talking about law enforcement in general.
1: Well, I appreciate you acknowledging that. Um I just give a fuck so much. And the reason I give a fuck with so much hope is because I know it can be fixed. Yeah. I'm a very, you know, realistic human being. If I if you told me, Hey, tomorrow you could uh, you could put on shoes if we work on it, and it'll you can fly and walk on clouds tomorrow. I go, hey, you're out of your fucking mind, right? Like there, there, there's just no way that's ever gonna happen. But if you said to me, we can make this job better, we can do better than we've been doing, we can begin with training and significantly reduce the likelihood of constitutional violations, lawsuits, and deaths related to law enforcement i don't mean the ones that they cause i'm talking about to themselves or the ones that other people cause towards them um and here's how we do it i would believe you because i know it to be true i'm living it and i'm getting the feedback so for me it's like a drug now i'm like man how many fucking lives can i save how fast can i fix this thing and you know honestly at the end of my life i i at least want to say you know I, i i worked with everything that i had I had yep. to be a good father. I had to be a good friend. I had to do morally correct things. Um, but I, I look back and my work actually mattered. And we might be able to shift how this whole thing is done. Do I get pushback? Oh, my. Don't. That's an Italian word in New Jersey. Uh, but yeah, man. Like, And then people here are like, oh, my God, can you believe this is happening? And I'm like, I believe it, I expected it to happen. I, you know, what? we're doing something great. And not everybody's going to be on board, and sometimes the people who aren't who aren't on board have different agendas in place. Yep. I don't know what to say. That's part of the deal. Uh, but let me go to this question. You said you know about being prepared, a callous mind. that has got to be a David Goggins reference. You've got to be a Goggins fan. Is that a, is that a Goggins reference?
0: I don't think so. I don't
1: know. <laughs> okay, because he it's in his book all the time. But uh, battle hardened, you know. We've been through this before. We know we're going to be okay on the other end. We're going to come out okay. We're in situations right now that are very difficult two years of my life. Very difficult. I'm happy I'm going through it. I'm happy I've gone through most of it. Um, you know, and I just keep saying in my head, it actually goes back to this Kanye West song. And I probably, I don't know if you listen to Kanye West, you don't have to acknowledge or You're not acknowledged. But in the beginning of it, and I don't want to misquote it, it's like, it cannot always be darkness, right? The light will always come back around. You know, it's a you're on a plane, it's only turbulent for so long. I don't care how bad the turbulence gets, the idea that the plane's going down through turbulence, it's untrue. It takes real courage and real resilience to remain calm during turbulent times. And I think that's what's important about being prepared, having a callous mind, and going through things prior to this. And I say to myself, I've been through shit like this before. I remind people that that are looking to me for advice and leadership of what are we going to do? And I say, you know, we've been through this before. This is not our first rodeo in this arena. Um, And we're going to be okay because people want to take a bite out of our ass, but then they leave and that ass heals and we get back on the fucking pony and and do our thing. And um, I'm just ready to outwork anybody, outlast anybody. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so I'm emotional about what the work that we do. And when you're emotional about something and you're committed, like a religion, you can't, you can't, you're not gonna be able to stop it.
0: Same here. I mean, we've, we've been in front of over 700 teams in about three years, all over the country. You know, I've seen good, bad, ugly all over the place, as far as the spectrum with police canine teams. But I can tell you what, we've gotten at least several, several emails or notes back to us saying, Hey um your training absolutely saved my life it's awesome or my dog's life or whatever you know we've gotten multiple things like that and that that gives you the chills that that makes us do what we do we sure as shit are not going to get rich and famous you know working with cops but that being said we do this because we believe in it and uh i just wish we could do more you know and it's, it's really up the limitation here is you know what we who we can touch really that's 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 our philosophy
1: what made you get into this is a few things for me this is this is me what drew you to base jumping what was it what was it that you needed in your life that made you put a fucking pack on and jump off a wall
0: (laughs) well believe it or not i got bored of skydiving i had oh shit thousands of skydives and it became routine you know i was an instructor for a while i could see that i could see that but yeah sneaking around the night and jumping off skyscrapers and taking off like James Bond. It was, it was pretty cool. And then the wingsuits came along. And then you, instead of falling, you're flying. You know, the whole world changed. But that being said, you know, you're playing with big boy rules. It's, you can do do everything right still get hurt doing it. And at some point, you got to weigh that risk versus reward ratio. And luckily, I, I was able to bow out of that sport you know, at the right point in time, I think. You know, I've done pretty much everything I wanted to do within it. Um, but yeah, a lot of my friends didn't. And, you know, I don't regret any of it. But that being said, it was time for me just to move on.
1: You ever go to those indoor skydiving places and show the fuck off? Because that's yeah. what I would do if I was you. <laughs>
0: well, it's not, that's not real. I mean, no, I know. Yeah, but like, you-
1: can you go there and do it? Ever see those guys who, who work at those places? I mean, they could literally like fucking ballerinas. They're amazing oh. in those machines. Can you do shit like that?
0: Well, you could do it for real, too we did
1: yeah, yeah yeah i'm saying you go in they're like hey are you a beginner yeah no i don't know nothing right right and you're like yeah, i don't know you could do like a tiktok video on it right and then the guys like you go in and you just start going berserk have you
0: been inside one of those things <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about so i got my dogs are going bananas here um yeah that would be fun just like there's people that uh they roll into jujitsu classes they are black belts that pretend that they're white belts same thing yeah, tim
1: kennedy tim kennedy yeah. does that and tim's a, tim's a good dude i'm glad to i'm proud to call tim a friend um and then you have the guys like they do at the music store right the guy's like oh can i see that guitar right yeah uh, but you should do it dude that'd be really cool like to go see the look on their faces when you go in and just do some cool shit yep yeah. hey what's it cost to go on this trip one of these excursions if we if had to pay out of pocket
0: are you talking about uh, treatment grants
1: Let's say Dennis Benino wants to go on his own, right? And it's the same thing. It's it's the place you guys go to. I don't need the grant money. Yeah. What is what is one person? What do you think it's going to cost ballpark to send somebody to one of these places to do one of these one of these things?
0: Yeah. So they're expensive. I mean, we purposely picked two of the best ones out there that are basically five stars. That have medical staff. What what I don't want is somebody worrying about their safety, worrying about a language barrier, any of that type of crap. They got enough shit on their plate. I want them to go down there and basically just deal with healing. Um, When you're dealing with like a week long retreat, they're typically around five to six grand. Um, For us, what we do is we include the integration work, the prep work, the travel, if need be. You know, if some of these guys, I don't want price to be a barrier for these guys to get help. Um, so that's why you know the price tag for one person to go usually within our organization is going to be close to ten grand. Wow. Um, yeah, you can go on your own, and there's much cheaper options out there. You know, if you want to go for, lay in a hammock in a you know in a hut in jungle in Peru somewhere, it's going to be a lot cheaper than living in a you know five star bungalow you know in, in Costa Rica. Um, but unfortunately, you know the way things are moving here in the U.S., it's going to take even if those programs I talked about earlier with maps. Got okay tomorrow, and they started doing MDMA assisted therapy. You'd have a backlog of you know 100,000 people trying to get in this program. So the implementation is going to be a problem. So the people that are at their end of their rope don't have that kind of time. And those are the people we're reaching out to. Um, we we want to know that you know, there's an option here that can actually ha- help you. Um, and they don't even go down the suicide route. And this what is if what we catch.
1: Where's somebody sitting around? Saying to, me, to to themselves right now, you know what, uh, Ray? I got ten grand. Can you, if I if I reach out to you guys, can I can I buy a spot in a class? How, what would you tell them?
0: If they ask the I just direct them right to where to go. I'm happy to answer questions for people who have, you know, they want to know what it's like, what it's going to take. You know, should they just go take the medicine? They think it's going to cure everything for them. You know, I'll tell them like it is, what it's going to be, um, and give them that kind of info, and then direct them to the places that I would recommend that I have personally vetted. Um, but like I said, I would tell people not to go if they don't have the right mindset. Um, you gotta be willing to make a change. Like I said before, and you gotta understand it's not gonna be a pleasure cruise, regardless of how beautiful the area is when you're going, um, when you're in ceremony, you're, you're in it to win it.
1: You know, you say it's five to six or $10,000, um, not a far cry from Disney. My friend, (laughs)
0: I'm just telling you. Absolutely not. And I can tell you what, Disney would give me PTSD. You know, I <laughs> just being in lines and kids everywhere screaming. Yeah, no, that's horrible.
1: It was interesting, right? I, I would have thought the same thing, but, uh, and I, I'm, g- I'm guessing
0: you don't have kids, right? No, just animals. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I have, uh, I, I, as nuts as this may sound, the more chaos with children, the better it is for me. I enjoy the cast. We read at a place this past weekend. I don't think it was smart planning on behalf of the Five families that we went with. I was not included in the planning. They should have included me in the planning. I would have had some real thoughts on how to do this a little more organized. But I went into a bathroom. One of my kids said, I got to go pay. I said, All right, let's go to the bathroom. So a guy walks in. He's a grandfather. And he goes, uh, Having fun yet? This is not the first time somebody said that to me with a sarcastic undertone. And I said, My man, this is like the things that I live for. He goes, Do you really? I go, How do you look at these children? who are having fun in this fucking cool-ass place here in this part of New Jersey. It's a real cool place. And, and find yourself frustrated with it, right? As, as a grandfather, you know, you're lucky enough to see your kids here. You're here for a reason. You're obviously not here to play fucking video games and go on on carnival rides. Um, You know, I had another guy tell me one time, uh, it was that they had these places that they do inflatable bounces, right? So it's commercial inflatable places, you bring the kids, they go inside, they go fucking haywire for like two hours. And uh prior to recently, they just let the adults go on them too. So I just be in the mix, man. I was really good at tossing children around on some of these things. That was my forte. I launch, I got videos where I'll send you I can launch a fucking 35, 40 pound kid like like a like a like a shot put. You got to see me launch these fuckers. And it's funny because you can't get hurt. They love it. You know, it's like a game. Uh, and we were going in this one time, and this guy's a friend of mine now. And he goes, yeah, another one of these, huh? Looking forward to this. Sarcasm. I went, bro, I live for this shit. Like, these are the moments that I cherish. And I I really, even as simple as today, I had my daughter in the back of my car. She's three. She was explaining things to me in the way that she was explaining things and said, very, very innocent. Like, well, because then we're going to do this. And then, yeah, that's how we do it. I'm like, oh, really? She's like, well, yeah, because on Saturday. Like, she doesn't know what Saturday is, right? She's like, Saturday, we're going to go to Target. And that's where we're going to do that. And I'm like, you yeah, know, we will go. And she's like, yeah, that's, uh, that's because, Dad, that's right. And you can have a coffee there. And I'm like, I will have a coffee there. She's like, yeah, that's right, Dad. So these moments, I'm like, man, I just enjoy them so much. Uh, but yeah, Disney, that was my Disney spinoff. I went there too. It is, it can be, it depends how you see it and how you feel it. But uh, just so you know, I think it's the perspective of how you, <laughs> we, I remember one time we, it was, there were four kids simultaneously screaming in our house, crying for all four, for all different reasons. It probably sounded like the same decibel level of a 787 jet engine in my household. And I said to uh, my wife, if anybody who didn't have kids came into this house and heard this right now, they would get castrated. They would literally never have children in their life. Yet, to us, this is very, very, I was, we weren't worked up. We're very calm. Um, you know, so there is perspective there.
0: So believe it or not, I mean, um, Caesar Milan and I think uh, Kelly Slater are on the board for Rhythmia. So there's wow. got a high level clientele that have been down there. The week after I went, I think Tiger Woods was down there. Get out of here. Yeah. Same it's, resort. It's become kind of like the thing for people with money. So. This is why he requires a grant for most people that go down there because it's, it's not cheap. Um, that's why we want to make sure that, you know, price isn't a barrier for these guys. So our men and women have given a lot to our country or you know, to help us stay safe. You know, I don't want them to have to worry about paying for something like this if it could change their life.
1: Where can they find out more information about your organization, where to donate, where to find you, everything that you do? Give us the whole spiel.
0: Absolutely. Uh, We are warriorshealingnetwork.org. And then on Instagram, uh, we're warriorshealingnetwork2022. We've got donation links on our website, and we are going to be doing some more fundraising events uh, in the spring. Uh, We're probably going to do kind of a warrior for a day thing or operator for a day thing at a local range here, a private range. Uh, I believe we're going to have Eddie Gallagher come up. Uh, I went and trained with him down at his place in uh, Florida at stronghold s o f solutions. Um so we we'll could probably have him up and maybe have a couple dinner fundraising events and then some other smaller ones that we're planning right now. so uh, just go to those social media and hopefully follow us and at very least share this with other people that may be able to donate and or need the help. Um really, I just wanted to get the word out there so that people understand that there's there's other treatment options out there, especially if they're dealing with the v a because I know personally that that is not the way to go, and they're not really helping very many people at that organization are just overwhelmed.
1: I also want to say that you're doing wonderful things for the world and you should be proud of yourself and coming from the place that you came from to have evolved this far and making those decisions in your life very impressive and thank you for what you're doing for the world right
0: yeah I, I appreciate it. thank you
1: I don't have anything else other than Uh, I hope I look like you in 11 years. I really do.
0: Well, we try. I'm not going to get any younger, so.
1: No, you're hanging in there pretty good, my friend.
0: You got to work hard for this shit. (laughs) I get
1: it, brother. Well, thank you so much for being here.
0: Yeah, thank you much for having me, and uh, good luck. Yeah, reach out if you need anything,
1: brother. Yeah. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher, so you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.